I am unashamed. What about you? So I want to mention again, uh, Dad and I did a, a talk shop live recently. And for your daily fill, you can get signed copies there. It's the only place you'll be able to get signed copies of your daily fill if you go to talkshoplive.com and check those out. So we got uh, got a special guest uh, on today. Uh, I love it when the Holy Spirit gives me these uh, epiphanies of people that we hadn't had on the podcast that need to be on the podcast. But he does it. He spaces them out just right. Yeah. So we got So we got Brian Rucker. Uh, Rucker is, of course, what we call him. I don't know why people get the last name treatment from the Robertsons, but it's just kind of our way. So welcome, Rucker, to The Unashamed. Thanks for having me. The last name thing has actually been throughout my entire life, really. Really? It wasn't just whenever I got around here, but like throughout my life, people just, instead of calling me Brian, would just call me Rucker. I did not know your name was Brian, and I've been running with you for uh, 10 years, I guess, or how many years? It's been about eight years. Eight years. years. I, I did not know your name was Brian. Until today? Really? No, I had no idea. If so somebody like, would have said, do you know Brian up there at Celebrate Recovery? I would have said, never heard of him. <laughs> well, it was like, I met this guy in the grocery store, and uh, he said, he, I met him, and, I, and he said, hey, you, you guys play golf with my, with my nephew. I said, who's that? And he said, Justin. I said, no. I don't need Justins. He said, oh, no, he plays golf with y'all all the time. And I was like, I, I don't know a Justin. Well, I left there thinking, yeah, somebody says they know us. And it was Martin. I never I knew his name. I had the same thing. <laughs> I had the same thing. You got to remember most of I mean, I got that from Phil, I guess, because Phil has a, has a, it's an undiagnosed condition. We need to. We need to put a name on it. He's incapable of calling someone by their, their actual by name. Their actual name. He, it's a it's a mental block. No, it so, ain't a mental block. It's from running up on thousands of individuals, and they say, "Remember me," and I'm like, "Yeah." You know, yeah, back, but Phil, when I was a kid, twenty six years ago, I came to your house, and, and you know, you're the one that I was like, twenty six years ago, yeah, or forty one years ago. So that's the reason I just started. I just get up. So now you're just like, it doesn't matter if I know your name because I'm not going to remember. I've been with you for 52 years and you've never called me by my actual first name (laughs) at any point. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah, Yeah, that's a real back my memory. (laughs) No, actually, you're right. We have all become our nicknames from dad. All right. Jace Which Al, is my yeah. whole life, because uh, you know a you lot call of Willie Willie before he started calling himself that. Yeah, I'll play cards. him Jess. I'll play cards to these people. You know, somebody. Yeah, hey, you play cards with my buddy, and they're like, say his name. I'm like, never heard of it. <laughs> yeah. And so then I start going through all the farm animals. I'm <laughs> yeah. like. Is it rooster, chicken, chicken, or fox? Oh, <laughs> oh, one guy's named SpongeBob. You know, yeah, yeah. And it just, oh, yeah. What? Well, Everybody I gets who the, that be- guy the best was. one was Connor's uh, nickname when he worked for us on the podcast. Yeah, what Phil, Phil called him, no name. <laughs> No name. Don't even have name. a name for you. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, he'd say, yeah. hey, no name. And he, he would say, can we give me a cup of coffee? No name. <laughs> and what was funny is people don't get offended by it. They're like. Well, my wife did. She said, did I actually hear your dad call one of those camera operators no name? And I said, yeah. She said, I would think that's rude. <laughs> well, but that's his name. His name is no name. You can't, yeah. you can't get offended by that. That's right. I guess it keep him humble. 
Well, it's interesting because since, uh, you know, hanging out with you guys so much, I started doing that. Like, that's just so we had the guy at Celebrate Recovery and uh, I ain't going to say his actual name, but he was he was coming around and he was supposed to come with us to the CR Summit this year. And um, I literally wrote on his invitation, bicycle guy. Cause that's what I call him. Bicycle guy. Bicycle guy. That's what and he is. Does he ride a bicycle? Everywhere he goes, he rides a bicycle. Perfect. <laughs> he rides a bicycle. And so, you know, people would say. I usually would say like bike man. Bike man. See, yeah, that's a lot go. easier. So you learned okay. it from so us. From we're, yeah, yeah. we're learning the talent of nicknames. That's right. Well, it's like the guy who hollers Jesus at Celebrate Recovery. Oh, yeah. I don't know his name. I just call him Jesus. Yeah. And I thought, <laughs> look, if you're a. If Kurt you're, Lively. Yeah. Is that his name? Yeah. That's Kurt. Yeah. Yeah. His name is Lively. Uh, lively. lively. And he's lively. He's lively. He's very lively. Yeah. 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 That's that making my head spin now. <laughs> that's well, him. Lively. Well, we should call him Lively. Well, that's what I do call him Lively. Well, once I called him Jesus, I can't turn my back on that now because I'm like, <laughs> no, well, he probably loves it. it. You got you to gotta keep that one going. Yeah. Well, every time I call him, man, he clenches that fist and puts it up. Oh, if you watch him throughout the service, he, he slow builds. Like he'll, he'll start and it's just like a yes. Yes, and then he'll get into, then he'll start doing this move here. Yeah, he's, like, he's getting yes. excited. He's yeah. getting excited, and then it just comes out just Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> but but it always comes out at like a time when you wouldn't expect it to come out. That's why it's it's yeah. always like I'm, when he does it and he yells Jesus. It's I mean it's shocking every every time. Yeah. Well, the first I like I, it. It's the first like, time it happened, I, I almost it. pooped in my pants. Well, I mean, I called him. He's a human alarm clock because if you were missing the point here, he's a human right. spiritual. You know, when they say they teach y'all, I slept through half the classes, but me and Al took a class about you transitions, you the speech, you know, and your build. It's like you're going up. You got to have the transitions to get them back into yeah. the, he's and not, at some he's point you're at the top of the mountain, right. you know, and, but forget that. You just have a guy yeah. like lively. He he's lets you trying, know. He's not doing it for attention. Oh, no, no, no. no, no. It's no. legitimate. He's saying everybody here, we're at the top of this mountain yeah. right now. Right. And it's all about Jesus. The first time, the first few times that I heard him do it in, in one of our times together, he was like apologetic to me. I said, oh, oh brother. Because he'd be like, oh, I'm just so sorry. I, you know, I just get caught. I said, oh, oh, oh. Don't, don't apologize for that. I wish there were way more people doing what you're doing. Yeah. It'd be, for, as God, a speaker, it's way more. made me think, Al, when I get back, when we get done with this show and I get back to doing events, I just need to hire him to go with me. There you go. Yeah. And he, I just say, you do you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just, <laughs> That's right. And then at the end... You'll come up with me, and we'll be. This is my. We'll partner. be together, right? Yeah, because people don't want to take a He's picture with part, him. I love him in the crowd. Well, whenever I awesome. speak, I I feed off the crowd a lot, so yeah. I'm all about like, hey, somebody say something, make some type of noise, give me an amen. And Kurt never disappoints. Right? <laughs> yeah. Like he's just doing it every time. And so anytime I'm speaking at the church, and he does it, I'm just like, love you, Kurt. Can't help yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we get Well, Rucker, look, I've spoken for years all over the country you're the when you asked me to come speak at celebrate recovery that, that was top 10 most raucous yeah groups i've That's i've exciting. ever been with we so get you a little should, rowdy oh it was rowdy in a good way oh yeah it was well, awesome you know i i've i've had the opportunity to go all around the country and speak to and experience worship at places and yeah. i talk to people that have came to cr and stuff and they're like Man, the worship at Friday Night CR at WFR Church is just next level. And I'm like, man, it's because it's a bunch of broken people 
grateful for grace. Yeah. Just showing their admiration for the Father. Yeah, that's what and, it is. And that's what make. And so you know when you come and you speak there, and it's like rowdy and it's rambunctious and there's all this stuff going on. It's this atmosphere of just like broken people being grateful, like you can't be quiet about it. Yeah. And right. so I kind of gave this um, this idea one time, like say we were at a Tiger Stadium in Baton Rouge and LSU's playing Alabama mm-hmm. for the state cha- or I mean for the national championship. Mm-hmm. Nobody in there would be able to contain their excitement if LSU's just dragging them. Oh. I mean, just totally just whooping them up and down the field. Mm. Nobody would be able to contain their excitement. That's what worship is like at CR. It's a bunch of people that have been beat up by life and the enemy and their sinful decisions. And now they're just like, they cannot yeah. found grace and how they feel. No, yeah. it's a great illustration. Because, I mean, one, I, when LSU preacher. won a national championship, I ran down our neighborhood street <laughs> hollering to the four winds, well, thinking everybody just watched this. You know, yeah. Where are all the other and people? My, Where's my, everybody? My neighbor was standing out there with his dog. He was just looking at me. He said, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think the lesson the lesson is is LSU fans are in, indulging themselves in idolatry. That's I think that's the lesson. One hundred percent. Well, that's what I would say if I was a Florida fan and LSU. I realized that they had won three national championships in the last few years, and Florida's been wondering like, around I, who's I'm going. A, I'm a know, little bitter. I went, wishing Tim little, Tebow would I'm come back. I'm a little bitter because yeah. I went down to LSU game with Jeff in college and. Um, and ended up getting in a fight with a guy who I didn't realize was on the swim team. And I, and, and I got jumped by like 10 guys at LSU at a football game. And I've never, I, I won't step foot in that place again. It margins. Oh, it, they now he's a down down man. Was this, was this before you came to Jesus? I would say so, yeah. Well, <laughs> as before, I was with Jesus. I, I think they I did still, you a favor. <laughs> <laughs> I would, I would look at them and say, "Thank you for saving hey, my life." He needed hey, more hey, beatings. And, and, and guess who didn't jump in to help their cousin? Uh, Your Epico. He didn't, well, I could have told you that. So, no, I was because because uh, Zach, that was. That was pre Phyllis. He was still the little sister. He wasn't going to do anything but hold you know, your when purse. You're, usually, when you're the last child, your your go to move is to run and hide. Yeah, <laughs> I think he was enjoying the enjoying the show. But I, uh, Rucker, I thought about uh, there's a preacher that said, I was trying to think who said it. He said nothing produces better worship than a repentant heart. I think that's what right. you're seeing when you walk into, you know, the guy, what you guys are into, man. It's uh you get people that have repented and, and they've found deliverance. It does produce a, a gratefulness that's kind of hard to contain, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, whenever I think about me and my life and all the things that I went through, like people are often like, man, why do you do what you do? And I'm like, because I know where I belong, right? Like, there's no doubt in my mind, like, I should be dead or in prison the rest of my life. And if I got what I deserved, then that is where I would be, one of those two places. Yeah. But because of Jesus, like I get to experience heaven and I got the grace here on earth that I'm not in either one of those spots. And so I I told a client of mine before I said, to be honest with you, I was like, if I lose everything and like, I have to go to flipping burgers or mowing lawns, which there's no shame in any of that. But Mm. if I had to do that, I would do it. Like I was working for the Lord. Like I would do it with like excellence because 
I'm just grateful to be here. Exactly. Yeah. Well, if so, you have that choice, go with the flipping burgers because we've always kind of frowned upon mowing grass <laughs> well, or beards. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> those are. But anyway, well, those, and you get free burgers too. Like, I mean, good. you can chopping I mean, wood is good. But chopping wood, yeah. flipping burgers, chopping wood. You can build a fire mowing grass. Yeah, Crickets. A, I like it. To me, I like Crickets. it because I get closure every time I'm. Every time I do yard work, and Jace calls me, he's like, "What are you doing? I'm doing yard work." Why was, was that? Did you so ever? sad. I mean, we had an intervention the other day. By the time I got to the end of my intervention, with that, I was like, your time is valuable. And I know you're making some money somehow on whatever various things. And you're out there subjecting yourself to frustration by mowing your grass. And and tr- trying to follow this version of civilized well, You know why I wear that this? Because this man sitting right here instilled in us that somehow that you're not a man. Yeah, that, if you're that's a working bad in thing. the yard, you're not even a real man. So look, I give Zach, <laughs> I, I give the Zach the speech. When y'all gonna mow that grass? I said. Fall to get it. <laughs> so, yeah, that was the greatest line ever. So Zach said, Give it about you... three months, it'll just shrink right on down. Zach said, so what'd you call me for? And I'm like, I'm so upset right now that I can't even remember. I'll call you back <laughs> Well, Zach, I hope you got all your equipment fixed because the word I heard was your in-laws came and, and no. looked after your place and you were no. off to Costa Rica or someplace and they were going to mow the yard, his, his father-in-law, and Nothing worked. The mower didn't work. The weed eater didn't work. The blower didn't work. Everything you had was broken. It's the word I got. Well, uh, let, let, let me tell you what my son Fred said to me yesterday, and I'm not kidding you. We were driving back from the lake, and he said, he, uh, he said, Dad, we're like the Robertsons, aren't we? I said, what do you mean? <laughs> like, when we when we tear something up, we just leave it out in the yard. We should get a new one. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. that's pretty so accurate. Oh, man, that's, that's good. Well, <laughs> said, no, we're not like that, son. And then I was like, yeah, we kind of are. Well, I did tell my the guy that my yard guy in the southern lair is a good guy. And I told him the other day what dad said. And he said, and he listens to the podcast. So I know he's going to hear this. Todd's going to hear this. And I said, well, Todd, don't take this the wrong way. But my dad said, if because if, he was working in my flower bed, if, if your butt is sticking out of a flower bed, you have officially lost your manhood. <laughs> and I said, don't take that the wrong way. <laughs> And so he was doing it for me. Let's take a break. So, uh, Rucker, counseling's been been a big part of your life, right? Yeah. <laughs> Both definitely. in what you've received from others, but also what you've given to others. Uh, you know, the mind being in the right place is so important. And one of our sponsors uh, is a group called Better Help, H-E-L-P, uh, and they offer online therapy. And it's really just to get that healthy brain, understand that mm-hmm. language, you know, just like you've, I'm sure, experienced yeah. with other people and, and, and also by leading them in that. BetterHelp is a online therapy that offers video, phone, even live chat therapy sessions. Uh, they, they're more affordable than in-person therapy. And uh, you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours, which is really good because sometimes when you know you need to do something, now is when you need to do it. Yeah. So visit our show sponsor, betterhelp.com slash unashamed, and you're going to get 10% off your first month of counseling. So check them out, betterhelp.com slash unashamed, 10% off, and get some help for your mind. All right, so just so the audience will know, um, 
Rucker is uh, our Celebrate Recovery director because we've been talking about it, or I don't know, director, whatever the term is. But you do it with another guy, uh, Derek, who's awesome. Yeah. And what what excites me about our Celebrate Recovery currently is so this is you guys are like the fourth generation so mac owen right who's our old pal who, yep. who's sat in all the bible says he he re, he responded one sunday at white's Ferry road our church and his father-in-law was an elder there mm-hmm. wife married great person and he came forward and said i'm a drug addict and of course everybody was shocked because nobody had a clue uh that that's where mac was and so he says that one of whoever was was re- helping him with his response that that Sunday night said, "Well, you're our first one that we know of, so yeah. we don't know what to do with you." So Mac wound up starting Overcomers uh, Anonymous, which was there for a few years, maybe ten or fifteen years. He went out to the summit at Saddleback mm-hmm. the first time. He said he wasn't even going to go. Somebody had asked him to go. He was just going to go to the beach and 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 blow it off. And he he went in there the first time and heard what was going on. And, he, and it changed him. So he came back home and he came in with Mike and I, who were preaching at the time. And he said, "I want to start this celebrate recovery right here." So he was the first generation. Then it passed on to his son-in-law, and Matt moved away. Then it was another guy named Kyle, who's amazing. And now you guys right. are our fourth generation. Twenty years we've been doing Celebrate Recovery, which excites me because you guys are the first ones that have actually kind of been in it and experienced it, and are now leading it. You yeah. Know? So well, so Kyle was also so that's Kyle, that's right. Kyle Kyle came through it, and he's he's about a year ahead of me as far as whenever he got into CR there at White's Ferry Road. Well, how'd you come to the Lord? I mean, what was that story about? Well, yeah. I mean, so. <laughs> <laughs> I guess be, be, we'll, care, be careful with that question. Right. Yeah, so because uh, Rucker came through, he came through Asheville. To, uh, <laughs> you were speaking in a prison, yeah. and so we he comes to church. We're visiting churches, and he comes with us, and then we go out to eat with the pastor and everybody. And somehow in the conversation at lunch, I heard like the word capital murder, drug. I mean, the whole thing. They're all looking like what in the world? And he got the long <laughs> ponytail. Yeah, like, Ash, Asheville was not prepared for that, I guess. <laughs> But uh, but no, like so, like Zach was saying. I mean, um, originally, I guess I'll just start with like where I'm from. So I was yeah. born and raised in Houston, Texas. Uh, interesting enough, like my mom and my grandmother are originally from here in West Monroe, and huh. uh, in the '80s they moved to Houston because they had something going on. And uh, they get we get out there, and then I'm born in Houston, and so all I ever know is Houston. And um, right after I was born, we lived in this area of Houston called Greens Point. Everybody calls it Guns Point. Oh, really? And uh, yeah, just because it's, I mean, it's a sketchy, it's a sketchy spot. Yeah, like I it, figured by the Guns Point. Right. Yeah. You know, people that go to Greens Point Mall, they like they normal people don't go there. They're like, hey, I'll go to any other mall. I ain't going to that one. Yeah. And uh, anyway, so I was born and raised in this atmosphere um, where you know there was a lot of gang activity. There's a lot of drug sales, uh, prostitution, just things like that going on. Matter of fact, first time I seen someone get shot, well, I was nine years old. And I came to this realization that you can die out here. Like, <laughs> yeah. you, you know what I mean? And, yeah. it's, and that's stuff that at nine years old, you normally don't have to wrap your mind around. Right, that's you right. know, uh, I would watch shows like, you know, Family Matters, Full House, and I'm watching how you know, they, they conduct themselves as a family and everything. And I just, that just wasn't where I was at. We lived in. It's like, it wasn't even real, right? I mean, it was not your reality at all. No, it wasn't at all. And, uh, and you know, I'll get into this a little bit later, but that's, that's one of the things that 
really baffled me whenever I first got around you guys and uh, just being in West Monroe was seeing families actually yeah. operate normal. You know what yeah. I mean? Because I had never I had never really experienced that. And so, um, you know, not long after that, I started getting involved with the gang. I always I looked up to people in the neighborhood. I just wanted to be a part of it. And so naturally, everybody that was there was either a drug dealer or a gang member or both. And so that's what I wanted to be. At around 11, I started smoking weed and uh, selling weed. And then I got jumped into the gang. And then it wasn't long after that, around 12, I was selling crack cocaine. Wow. Um, and then in uh, my mom, whenever I was 13 years old, she actually went into the hospital when I was 12. She's in the hospital for an entire year. Uh, she went into the hospital for tumors. And they would go in, remove a tumor, and then another one would develop, and then they would go in, remove that tumor, and another one would develop, and it was just this, you know, repetitive process. And um, on one of the last surgeries that they did uh, to remove a tumor, they actually sewed her back up with one of the towels that you wipe up blood with in the operating room inside of her. And so it caused a foreign body infection. I remember going up to the hospital and uh, seeing my mom laying there in the bed, and she had these tubes hooked up to her, just pumping this green fluid out of her into this clear tub at the end of the hospital bed. Mm. And uh, How old were you then? I was 13. Yeah, and so uh, then they send her home eventually. Well, when they sent her home, she still had IVs in her and stuff, required a hospital bed. And we stayed in a two-bedroom apartment in the back of the projects at the time. So it was... And it was uh, just you and your mom? I mean, well, it was me, my mom, and my grandmother. I never knew my dad, uh, never had a relationship with him or anything like that. And so it was always just me, my mom, and my grandma. Now, whenever I was younger, we had I had a couple of cousins that, you know, would be around and, mm. and their dad and stuff. But it was always, you know, it never was sustainable. Yeah. And so... Um, they sent her home. Well, at the time, like my grandma had a room, I had a room. And then before my mom went in the hospital, uh, she would just kind of sleep in the living room, you know, and stuff like that. Well, we move in the hospital bed and everything, and we have to move everything out of my room, move in uh, the hospital bed in there. And, uh, about a week goes by. And, um, on December 18th, uh, I remember her getting up that day. And, you know, just being there in her hospital bed and wanting me to watch this movie with her. And the movie was Chicken Run. It was like this claymation movie. I definitely didn't want to watch the movie. I mean, at this time in my life, like, I'm, it's we're on Christmas break from school. So, like, if you're born and raised in the hood, you know that, like, Christmas break, it's wintertime. We're in Texas. Like, everybody's outside. Everybody's just doing their thing. And so that's where I wanted to be. I wanted to be outside selling drugs and hanging out with my friends. And so she asked me to watch this movie with her and uh, I would go outside, come back in. And the movie was coming on later that evening. And like it was wild how all day she just asked me to watch this movie. I'd walk right past her hospital bed because it was in my room and I'd have to go in my closet to get more weed. And like I would just walk past her bed and she'd say, hey, the movie's coming on. Are you going to watch the movie with me? And then I walk in one other time and she says, hey, the movie's on. You're missing it. Will you please watch this movie with me? And then uh, I go back outside. I come back in the last time and I remember hearing her snoring. And I thought to myself, well, good. I ain't got to watch this stupid movie. Yeah. And um, I go back out, come in, and I just stay in the living room. Well, the next morning, my grandmother wakes up and she's like, hey, you need to go get your mom up because Miss Diane, basically a friend of the family that was coming to tend to her IVs 
And uh, I walked up, and as soon as I got to the doorway, there was just this stillness. Like, right. you know, you just it was just still. And uh, inevitably, I just walked up to the bed, nudged her on her shoulder, tried to wake her up, and, and she had passed away that night. So at 13, mm. I found my mom dead. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I wish that I could say I felt a lot of emotions, but I only felt two. I was sad for maybe five to ten minutes. I cried. Mm. And then after that, all I felt was angry. Mm, like yeah. all I was was just mad at everybody and everything. I remember the paramedic comes and sits me down and he's like, Hey, we're sorry to tell you your mom passed away. And all that did was just tick me off, mm, man. I was raged. Like, I was like, Man, I, I know. Like, I know. And uh they had this police liaison officer that showed up because it was December nineteenth. And, you know, it's just before Christmas, you know, family in the in the hood, you know, you lost your mom. So they show up with this box of like, it's got like a football in there, a basketball, like some shoes, basically them just trying to, you know, just trying to console me yeah. a little bit. Yeah. And, and her bringing that box just made me angry. Yeah. Like, I don't want that. Yeah. I don't want no box. Yeah. And, um, so I ended up just leaving and, and it wasn't long after that, that I ended up getting arrested for the first time. I actually, uh, so you were just living on your own at that stage. Well, so my grandma hang, hang was on, there. Hang on, man. Let's take a break. So I wasn't really like all the way up. So my grandmother was there, but my grandma was, you know, she was doing her best just to, you know, figure Get things up. out for yeah. herself. And yeah. so, mm -hmm. you know, she was there, but she wasn't there. You know what I mean? And my mm. grandma has always been the person in my life up until the point that she died that was, you know, always made sure that I was somewhat head above water, uh, at least the best she could. But yeah. I was so angry and everything else that it, it, there was no talking to me. There was no, yeah. um, so less than six months later, while I'm still 13, I get my first gun and I'm like, it was a little 25 Beretta. I didn't even have a clip. I just, it just had one bullet that you, that flip yeah. up barrel, you put it in there and um, I got that gun and I just thought to myself, like, man, I can make some money with this thing. Like I can I can really become successful with this gun. Wow. And um, I come up with this plan to commit my first robbery. And I actually tried to rob a food truck that would come through the neighborhood and drop off food to like elderly people and, you know, different things that they would order. Well, in my young, you know, 13 year old mind, I'm thinking well, he's dropping off all this food. He's got to have a stack of money on him. I yeah. mean, they're paying for this stuff somehow. Yeah. And uh, I didn't know anything about no cash on deliveries or credit. <laughs> like, I, I was just like, oh, he's got to have a stack of money. So I end up running up on him, pointing a gun at him, try to rob him. I didn't get anything but two boxes of ice cream sandwiches. <laughs> I mean, he just, he literally, he threw them at me. As because he's in panic, this short, chunky, Hispanic-looking yeah. kid just—he's like—he throws the ice cream sandwiches at me, and I pick him up, take off running. And, oh my uh, goodness, it's not funny, it's not but funny. it's funny. I mean, yeah. it's, but it kind of is. I mean, <clears throat> oh. And so I end up getting arrested. Not long. I mean, it didn't yeah. take him long, and uh, I get arrested for the first time, thirteen, with an aggravated robbery charge, and. Uh, the judge actually kind of showed me some grace, but because of the severity of my charge, I had to go to TYC, which is basically Texas Youth Commission. Mm. Uh, it's kind of like prison for people under the age of 17. And so I go in there and, uh, of course, I'm angry at everything. And I always had this 
this ability to just talk. Like whenever I would talk, people would listen. Mm. And I definitely utilize utilize that in the wrong ways. And so yeah. I go into TYC and I start a gang, everything else. And I was originally supposed to be there for nine months. And I turned nine months into two and a half years. Wow. So I'm because I mean, of like bad behavior and all that kind of right. Stuff. Well, yeah. I, I started a I started this little gang and like in Texas, it's all about like what color are you and what city are you from? Yeah. And uh, I basically was like, I don't care what color you are, what city you're from. Like if we point at somebody, go beat them up. If you do, you're part of our gang. Yeah. yeah. You know, and so, um, yeah. And so I ended up being incarcerated from 13 to 16. Uh, I get out and I have these plans of like, okay, I'm going to go to high school, get a real diploma and everything. Cause I had already gotten my GED. They actually sent me to this place called Gulf coast, uh, which was a program. And it was kind of like a last ditch effort. Like, Hey, either you go to this place and you get your GED pass the learner's permit test or, and, uh, obtain a builder's trade or like, you're just going to stay locked up. And yeah. so they, when they gave me goals, I was like, all right, cool. Yeah. So I go in there six months later, I end up getting released and, um, I get out and I have all these plans of like doing the right thing and, and stuff like that. And it just didn't, just didn't, didn't work. work, you yeah. know? And I, I went back to selling drugs. I ended up making connections with, uh, some cartel guys. And that ultimately led to me making upwards of $60,000 a month selling drugs, had a pipeline from Houston to Columbia, South Carolina. And, um, Man, you know, everybody talks about selling drugs like that, but it's a it's a whole different thing when you're living in it because mm. you there is no comfort. There is there's nothing called peace. And at the time, you don't even realize that. You know, I think about it now looking back like living with the peace that I have mm. and the comforts that I have. Like I look back now and I'm like, man, I could never go back to that. Like it just you have to be a totally you're, it's a high wire act, right? The whole time. Right. Somebody's going to shoot you or you're going to, you know, be in a situation like well, that. Well, and then you're surrounded by so much sin and I yeah. I grew up not believing in God at all. Right. And so I never I never made the correlation. I never realized, oh, this is sin. I just thought this is life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you just, you got to do what you got to do. And there's good people and there's bad people. And so um, anyways, I've seen a lot of stuff happen and uh, wasn't, it didn't last very long. It never does. Uh, less than a year later, I ended up getting arrested for a gang related shooting in which a person died. And uh, that whole story's, I mean, kind of crazy, but I'll just say that, you know, I'd been a part of um, of drive-bys before. I'd been at, you know, parties where shootings take place, and, and I may or may not have been involved in them. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, But that day, I know what happened. That day, there wasn't a question in my mind as far as my participation in things and how stuff played out and everything else. Um, and from there, my life was never the same. Uh, I ended up going on the run for a couple of weeks. It was pretty obvious that I was involved in some way. And if you read the news article, it basically <clears throat> says that, you know, the suspected narcotics dealers and gang members. And um, I end up getting arrested. Well, I'm originally arrested and charged with aggravated assault with a deadly weapon um, because the victim hadn't passed away. And then uh, I go to Harris County. I'm only 17 years old at the time. Wow. So I'm 17, I'm walking into Harris County and I'm basically coming in here for shooting somebody. And um, and then about three weeks later, 
the victim died due to complications of the gun wound and they re-indicted me and upped me to murder too. Is and so now I'm I'm sitting there and I'm basically rest of my life is over. Uh, I remember I I went into my arraignment um, on the new uh, indictment after, and uh, in Harris County Jail, it's it's you know a large county jail in Houston, Texas, which is a large city. Yeah. Um, they connect the jail and the courthouse through these underground tunnels and you walk through them. And whenever you go to court, you go up into one of the holding tanks out by the courtroom. And, uh, I was sitting in there and there was this old guy that was in that holding tank with me outside the courtroom. And, uh, my, my lawyer comes in and he kind of, you know, tells me the situation and, and I hear it and I kind of put my head down and I walk back and that guy just, I sit down next to him. He looks over at me and he goes, youngster, your life is over, <laughs> you know? And I just remember thinking like, you're right. Like, yeah. My life is over. And, uh, wow. and I had never been in love. I had never like had a career or worked like a legitimate job. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, and you're I, 17 I, and like, <clears throat> it's just all over. What a, what a heavy burden to bear. Let's yeah. take another break. So when did the turnaround begin? Yeah. You got me not on my some, edge of my seat now. Not, so. not for some while. I mean, like, so I go, I go, uh, I get incarcerated and I start going on appeals and like trying to beat this case and ended up taking about three years. But I ultimately ended up uh, beating the charges, getting acquitted of the murder. And uh, uh, because I was at the scene and they could prove I was at the scene, I basically ended up signing on two counts of what they call deadly conduct which are also felonies, but, um, man, my mind was in such a disarray. Like I was just mentally all messed up. First I had the PTSD from the life that I was living before I got locked up. Then being incarcerated for me was extremely difficult because I look Hispanic. I'm part of an all black street gang and I'm a white dude. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. so, you know what I mean? So it's like, it was just one, like, you know, being locked up was not fun for me. You know what I mean? It was, I had to fight all the time and everything else. It felt like just whenever I was a kid being raised in an all black neighborhood, uh, I had just had to fight every day until I was eventually accepted. Yeah. And so I get out and, uh, you know, my mind's just all over the place from all of that. And the day I get out, uh, I met with the arresting officers and some more uh, on the original shooting case. And they're like, hey, no matter what we got to do, we're getting you off the streets. You was never supposed to get out. And I remember thinking, man, either they're going to like set me up or they're going to kill me. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> so my next thought was, well, I got to get out of Houston. And uh, in comes my son's mom. And she was this girl that I had messed with since we were since we were kids and uh, and she shows up and, you know, we reconnect. And ultimately, I start moving further and further away from Houston, thinking that that was the answer. So the next several years of my life was like literally I'd move somewhere, work a job, get laid off, move somewhere else, work a job, get laid off. I'd sell a little bit of drugs here and there, you know, uh, just trying to get by. But telling myself as long as I'm not like acting in any gang activity or or selling like a lot of drugs, then like maybe I could pull this off. Yeah. And uh, long story short, I end up over in Longview, Texas, and I'm working at this Chicken Express. And, you know, me and her had split up. We had already had my son at that point. And uh, 
I'm, I'm working out there and I'm just thinking like, okay, I can do this, man. There was a point in time in my life where I literally was like, man, if I could just get a job making $10 an hour, man, I could, I'd be set. I'd be set. You know what I mean? And, and so, uh, I'm working that job at chicken express and I end up getting laid off from that job. And I'm like, well, that's it. Like there's only one destiny for me. And so I, I'm like, I'm going to go back to selling drugs. And so I make a few phone calls, get large amounts brought up to Longview, and I'm about to just flood East Texas. And um, around that same time period, I found out about my grandmother's health. She had moved back here to West Monroe Monroe, uh, after all the shooting stuff and everything took place and some some more stuff happened. Like she ended up moving back here. And um I come out here is around Christmas time. I'm visiting her. I'm standing outside talking to my aunt and they're telling me how they're going to put my grandmother in a nursing home because insurance wouldn't pay for someone to be with her at night. And uh, I was for whatever reason, I was just like, well, I'll move out here. And I knew I knew I didn't want to sell drugs no more because like after I beat that charge, I told myself if I ever went back, they weren't going to let me out like there was no. And after having my son which you guys have met my son. Like, my son's exactly like me. Like, yep. he looks exactly like me. Mm. He acts exactly like me. I call him like mini me. Right, yeah, little rucker. You know what I mean? That's <laughs> yeah. what Willie calls him. But he's like, you know, after I had him, I was the only fear I really lived with was, like, him having a life like mine, you know? Yeah. And so I knew that if I ever went back to prison or got locked up like that, that was going to be the case. And so – um So I go back to East Texas, give the drugs to my roommate, give him the keys to the apartment, load up, and I move out here to to West Monroe. It's actually in Monroe at the time, uh, uh, over there by Rite Aid in Lakeshore. And I I live with my grandmother in a one-bedroom apartment uh, made for retired living people. Uh, I wasn't even supposed to be living there. I was, like, secretly living there. And um, I get her back on her feet, uh, and I go everywhere looking for a job. Like literally, McDonald's and Taco Bell wouldn't hire me. I went, in, <laughs> I like, I went in, I went into Taco Bell, and because they they actually called me for the interview, and I go in there and like I'm sitting there and I'm talking to them, and they're like, okay, well, what are you doing out here from Texas? And, and I don't know what else to tell people other than the truth, right? Yeah. So I'm just like, well, this is what happened. She's like, yeah, I don't. <laughs> she's like, I don't. She said we may have to call like a regional manager or something. I, I just don't know with your background if we'll be able. to. The lead with I got out of prison and came here yeah. was not helping yeah. you in the job. No, market. not at all. Well, so interesting enough, like so, I end up driving down Thomas Road and I see this big brown building and it says Duck Commander on it. And I'm like, ah, oh, I'll go ask those guys for a job. Yeah. And um. At the time, I'm telling myself, well, I'm going to put in a job application everywhere. That way, whenever I'm telling people how I have to sell drugs because society won't allow me to get a job, I could say I tried, you know? Yeah. And uh, and I go in there, put in an application. Uh, about another month goes by. And, that, and at that point, I was just completely crazy. Like, I mean, just totally insane. My head, like, I, I can't even begin to go into all the stuff that was going on between the ears. That was yeah. just... And... um. And I put in and and then randomly, like on a Tuesday, I get this phone call from a guy. I didn't even have a phone at the time. Uh, I was using my grandmother's phone and uh, I get a phone from a guy named Blaze Thomas. And uh, he's like, hey, uh, we, you know, uh, would you we want to call you in for an interview? And I'm like, "Okay." (laughs) 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 it's as weird as I saw Blaze. (laughs) 
two days ago. Oh, really? It's kind of crazy. And so I come into the interview, and I remember, you know, the, if, if I'm sure y'all remember, but, you know, there was that time after Duck Dynasty, like, blew up. It was that, crazy time. That it was crazy, and it was basically like, if you got a pulse and could put together a duck call, <laughs> come on. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's right. <laughs> well, then, had, we hired, like, 120 people in, right. a, in a short period I of do time. remember that. I remember walking into a room. I was like Barney Fife. It, it was like all the recruits. I was like, now, gentlemen, the duck call is more sophisticated. Than, I, I remember doing that, literally. And they're all looking up. And like, I'd walk out, and I'd like, number two and number seven, they, they don't. They got to go. They got to go. But the rest of them seemed like they were getting it. But go hey, ahead. Hang on. Let's take our last break. And so, yeah, so. So then Blaze comes in and he's got that guy, Brad Gilbo, that's there managing the warehouse. And they're basically trying to get some rain on it. You know what I mean? Because what was found out was like, you can't just bring in everybody because it gets real weird, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And and so uh, probably was me over there saying, quit bringing in. Who y'all bringing? I can't literally scooping everybody. Y'all getting these people prison. So I end up, I end up going into the interview with Blaze and he's like, you know, I didn't look like I look now. I was, you know, it was pretty obvious I wasn't from around there. And he's like, he's like, man, how would you, how would you like to work here? And for whatever reason, I said, honestly, I don't care if it's you or McDonald's. I said, I'm just trying to feed my kid and I don't want to sell drugs to do it. Yeah. And he kind of like looked at me crazy. And then Brad was in there also. And he's like, okay. He goes, well, when, if you got the job, when could you start? And I literally stood up out of my chair and I untucked my shirt. I said, I'll start right now. Yeah. I said, you ain't even got to pay me right now either. <laughs> and huh, he basically kicks me out the office. He's like, all right, we're going to call you. We'll let you know something. You know how Blaze is. He's yeah. And so <clears throat> a couple of days go by, and I end up getting a phone call. Missed their phone call five times. Missed Blaze's phone call five times. And I know at that time they weren't calling people more than once or twice. Yeah. There's no way. And uh, missed his phone call five times, ultimately ended up answering. And then I started that Monday folding clothes there at the warehouse for eight bucks an hour. And um, I just went in there and I was just working. I remember the first time I met Willie, like Willie comes in, he's like, hey, Willie Robertson. I'm like, oh, cool. And I just kept folding clothes. Like I I just didn't, I didn't really care who anybody was or anything. Like I was just just, wanted a job. I just wanted a job. Like I just wanted an opportunity because it would save me from me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, you know, I started meeting people like Lyle Sinky, Skip Cuvion, you know, yeah. all these guys. And they'd all ask me, well, where'd you come from? And I'd be like, well, I'm from Houston. This happened, this happened. They're like, oh, well, where do you worship at? I'm like, worship? What are you talking about? I don't do nothing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He's like, he's like, well, you should come to church sometime. I'm like, that's cool. Just don't come me with no Jesus stuff. I ain't trying to hear none of that. I'm just, yeah. Yeah. just here to work a job. And, you know, the whole me getting a job there was the act of God in itself. But yeah. um, then, you know, long story short, I end up start coming to the church because Willie was actually giving me more and more responsibility. I ended up uh, running Willie's watering hole for him. And yep. then people found out I could sell stuff. So I started selling duck calls, selling coffee and everything else. And um, 
And you were on the show. <clears throat> yeah, I ended yeah. up being on the show. Right. Uh, but, you know, coming to coming to the church, I originally was just like going to the church so that everybody would see me going. Right. And I'd be like, man, these dudes are going to give me a raise. They see me coming <laughs> to church. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so I, I go to church, and, and I sat down, and the more I went, the more I listened. And the more I listened, everything that didn't make sense made sense if I put God in the equation. You know, I didn't have this moment where it was like, oh, man, I instantly believe God is real. It's a lot like, you know, Abraham just over years. My faith has been grown and built, but I couldn't explain my life. I didn't know why I was free. I didn't know why I was alive. And the only thing that ever made that make sense to me was if there's God and he's got a plan for my life. Yeah. And so, you know, you'd run up on some people, at least mm -hmm. who you knew loved you. Yeah. Well, and that was the thing. These guys you, you never opened up a Bible, never pointed to any verses. All they said was, I love you. They said the words, I love you. And it just it did something to me because yeah. I actually believed it. And then it was three weeks later, old Phil here is baptizing me <laughs> and uh, there at the church. I wish I remembered it, but I don't. <laughs> well, no, I know you don't. But yeah. it's a, it's it's on YouTube. I can pull You're it one up. in a large group. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is whenever I'm getting baptized, uh, Lyle took me back there. He's like, hey, Phil's going to baptize you. I said, okay, cool. And he goes, uh, Phil goes, uh, he goes, what's your name? I said, I'm Brian. I work for you. He goes, ooh. <laughs> he's a, he's a, he's a, we literally walk into the baptistry, and, and he's about to baptize. He goes, I, I came across Brian back there. He says that he works for us. So I guess I'm going to have to talk to Willie about that. And then, <laughs> and then, he, and then he baptizes me. And, yeah. then, um, and it's on YouTube. It's on YouTube. Okay, yeah, it's crazy. That was, for that. It's on YouTube. And uh, so ended up, uh, you know, it, things progressed for me quickly after that. Uh, I really got close with Willie, got close with some of the Buck Commander guys and, you know, Jace or uh, Jay Stone and just everybody yeah. that worked there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Rucker, I'll give you this. That's quite the conversion story. Yeah. Yeah, it is. But so looking uh, back, now think about it. Every rotten, filthy thing you ever did is gone. gone. Yeah. No future sins counted against you. You appeal to the blood of Jesus. You're guaranteed you be raised from the dead. Yep. All I'd say, Rucker, is welcome aboard. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I learned more about you in the last 35, 40 minutes. Than I <laughs> well, they, I've only been around for eight years, Phil. It's okay. <laughs> so, so you eventually left Duck Commander to go to work at an addiction recovery place. Yeah. Uh, and tell us a little bit about that because we only got a few minutes left, and then there's a couple of things I want to ask you about. Over yeah, so um, – so yeah, I was working there at Duck Commander, and I, and at that time I had you know I'd ended up being on the show and was going places, speaking, telling my story and stuff. Your and, gifts were able to be used because of that, right? Not, people, not for good. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. People yeah. like it, the first time I led a devotional at the office, it was like, oh man, you got a gift, and I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just here, yeah. you know, and uh, and so. Yeah, I started being able to go speak places, and one of the places I spoke at was a treatment center. And the lady that ran the treatment center was like, I heard you speak for 30 minutes, and I want to offer you a job. And I'm like, nope, not interested. Yeah. And uh, she she just asked me several times, like, I really think you'd be a good counselor. And I ended up talking to Willie about it. And Willie, you know, Willie's got this way of just putting it in perspective. And it, But he was like, he was like, well, you're family. He said, you always got a job here. He's like, go try it. If you like it, great. If not, whatever. I'm like, all right, that makes sense. Yeah. So, Well, he gave you a parachute. Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. So he well, gave me the like. Because you had found your life 
through this place. So, well, of yeah. course, I don't want to leave here. This is where all my people Well, it was my safety net. It was my family. Yeah. And that's where, like, White's Ferry Road and Duck Commander, like, people didn't realize. Like, I was like, no, that's my that's my family. I don't, you know, that's who I lean on. That's who's helped yeah. me. Like, so. Well, even when you go back to your life, you know, you're 12 or 13. I mean, if you'd have had somebody like you are now mm-hmm. who could have intervened, you know. And right. So, to, to me, that's what I seem like. It's like it's a breakdown of the you know, the, the home and the mm-hmm. system and you're in a place and you make a bunch of bad decisions. Next thing you so know, roughly how many now are you three. working with and through with, uh, uh, celebrate recovery. So how many are, are part of that right now? hundred, 200. Well, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's bigger. Than, yeah. I mean, it's way bigger than that. I can't tell you personally how many people I've been able to work with because through addiction counseling on an inpatient level and everything. And then of course, celebrate recovery and all that. But I could say that on average, we have over 400 people at Celebrate Recovery every Friday yeah. night. Yeah. And, um, well, you're doing a good job at Rucker. You well, really are. And, you know, what's interesting is, is because, you know, Brian's story is like a lot of people. I'm sure a lot of our listeners have had some similar thing. It may have been some other, you know, situation you were in. But the beauty of that is when you finally bent the knee, when you finally mm-hmm. said, okay, I get it, you know, Jesus Lord. The pathway he took you, because you had all these gifts and abilities that were used for evil, but now, you know, he's provided a pathway to use them for good. Yep. So when the conversation comes up with us, it's time for that next generation of leadership because Kyle was was moving into another role. And he so he says, well, I, my suggestion is, is Derek and Rucker mm-hmm. together should lead this ministry. Mm-hmm. And, and and all of us who are leaders of the church were like, of course, like it was just, it made perfect sense. Mm-hmm. And so now to get to, to see that, so so you sent me a note and uh, you were in my office studying or something, getting ready to speak at, at somewhere at the church. And you took a picture and you said, I can't believe I'm sitting in your office about to deliver the word of God mm-hmm. and where God has brought me to this place. And so I remember you and I talked back and forth, yeah. but it was, it's touching to me, Brian, because it's exactly what God has done with all of us. Yeah, I mean, he took us, from whatever sin, you know, had us captivated and then brought us into something new and wonderful. So, I mean, that's that's the yeah. blessing we get. You know, I, what, I, what I finally came to realize is Jesus didn't come and die on a cross and be raised from the dead just to make bad people good. He came and did it to make dead people alive. Yeah. And, you know, there was this sanctification process that ensued. Even after becoming a Christian, I screwed it up, ended up back in jail. Matter of fact, Jace, after I got arrested and it hit the news and everything— you you probably don't even remember this. You walked into the church. I don't remember, but tell me, yeah, I'm nervous so, now. Well, no, no. So <laughs> so you walked into the church, and I'm sitting there on the front row, and I'm just kind of being quiet because like everybody knows I got arrested, and uh, this was after the show. It came out and stuff. So uh, Jace walks up. He goes, "Well, you ready to do it right?" And I said, "Yeah." He goes, "Good. We love you." And he walks off. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of the whole thing. All, right. All right. So hold on. I'm no. going to talk a little bit more about this. We're out of time. Um, so we're going to go over to overtime. A few more minutes with Rucker. If you want to follow us over, it's blazetv.com slash unashamed. Thanks for listening to the Unashamed Podcast. Help us out by rating us on iTunes. And don't miss an episode by subscribing on YouTube. And be sure to click that little bell to get notified about new episodes. And for even more content that you won't get anywhere else, subscribe to Blaze TV at blazetv.com slash unashamed.